Welcome to Food Friends. I'm Carrie. And I'm Sonia. We met in Los Angeles over 15 years ago as private chefs and haven't stopped talking about food since. We created Food Friends to share our stories and recipes with each other and you. We're so glad you're here. Hi, it's Sonia. This week on the podcast, we're talking about some of our less glamorous moments as personal chefs. Failure has kind of a bad connotation to it. It's almost a dirty word, but some of these mistakes or quote unquote failures have resulted in some of the biggest gifts in both of our lives, or at least really important lessons that we've learned. I learned so much from hearing Carrie's self-described cringeworthy moments where I feel so much compassion for her. And also I'm struck by how she still maintained so much integrity and grace and how much grace was given to her in those moments. It also really helped to reflect back on some of my more difficult moments early in my career. We hope you enjoy hearing these stories and of course we'll be sharing recipes and links in our show notes and if you've been enjoying the show please share it with others, leave us a review on iTunes and also we love hearing from you so drop us a line at foodfriendspod at gmail.com. Stay tuned for more. Hey, Sonia. It's so nice to see you. It's so nice to see you. I'm so happy to be together. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so happy to be together too. And I am, as always, looking forward to chatting with you today. This is one of my favorite topics because I feel like the F word, failure, has so (laughs) much loaded behind it. And I am kind of evangelical about what gifts come from quote unquote failure? There's so many gifts that come from failures in cooking. And I'm excited to have this conversation with you because I don't know that we've always kind of gone into all these details. It was like we met as personal chefs, but I didn't know actually how you started. And there are a lot of these things that I've experienced over my career as a personal chef that I think I just moved on from. It was like, oh, that was a failure. I learned from it. I moved on. But I think it's interesting to go back and sort of talk about those and share those with each other. And then sometimes hard to talk about. I feel like, you know, there's that instinct to be like, I'm just not going to talk about all the things that oh, went yeah. wrong. And and it's oh, especially also- Especially the cringeworthy ones where you're right. like, oh gosh, I can't believe that happened. But it's, I always learn so much when other people share these kinds of stories, yes. which is why I know I'm going to learn from you. And yeah, I think we should just get right into it. If you want, I'll tell you about the very- first mistake I made on the job, (laughs) like my second night cooking for this, my very first family. I think even the best chefs, like truly like Michelin star chefs, top chefs, whatever, I think we all have our off moments. And they're sometimes inexplicable. Like you're you're like, I made this soup a thousand times. Why does it taste weird right now? Right. I did exactly the same way. What the heck happened? I just think that happens in cooking and it's it's weird. There's no way it's not universal because we're all human beings. And every person that has a job it has sometimes has an off day at their job, whether you're a parent, whether you're a doctor, you know, some jobs have higher stakes, other jobs have lower stakes, pun intended, Um, (laughs) times that I've burnt the stakes. Um, But yeah, I I think that was one of the things that because I got into this business because I loved it, I just loved cooking. Then when I had my sort of first off day, I was like, oh, right, this is my job. It's not that you don't feel like, oh, it's okay to have a bad day. That happens to everyone. And that happens to me when I'm cooking for my family. My husband is a grateful eater. He'll always eat what I put in front of him, which is such a lovely, yeah. lovely thing to 
to receive as a partner, but there are times when I'll be eating it and I'll say, wow, this is not good. And he's like, yeah, it's not your best, but it's okay. You know? Yeah. Um, so I think it's good to remember that. that. Jonathan, Jonathan does. I go, how, how does it taste? He goes, it's good. Like it's like this, and then I'm like, oh man, <laughs> I really screwed yeah. this one up. Well, there um, are times when I'm like, Ugh, I don't, I don't, you know, this is not great. How can we fix this? You know, totally. But yeah. So my yeah, early mistake, yeah, it no longer haunts me because now I accept my imperfections so much better than I used to. But again, remember, this is all happening in my 20s. I started as a personal yeah. chef in my mid 20s, so I really was young, and it was my second day on the job cooking for this family family that I ended up cooking for for a long time. And I had proposed, um, they were having a dinner party. It was, and I proposed mushroom risotto and I had never made risotto before, (laughs) which is already like a critical error. Like uh, to be fair on that job, I made a lot of things for the first time. And that was sort of my culinary school. And, you know, thankfully most of it worked out, but this was just not one of those instances. And the way you make risotto is basically you're stirring hot broth bit by bit into arborio rice, into rice until it becomes that beautiful, luscious, soft, creamy texture. And you're not really supposed to leave the pot for like 45 minutes. You're just stirring, stirring. Okay. So I knew I wasn't going to be able to do that because I had too many other things to be doing at the same time. Mm -hmm. So with a dish I've never made before that is extremely a la minute, I still kept it on the menu and I decided to research all the ways you could make risotto in advance. Which, spoiler alert, if you own an Instant Pot, that's the way to do it. So it was like partially make it and then lay it on a sheet pan and let it like cool down and then add it back to the pot. Like I read like 20 articles on this. This is so ambitious. That's just this idea of like at the very beginning of your career, you're like making a risotto that you've never made before. It takes like a kind of hubris and also delusion, I think. But I'm not being and mean to myself. You're naivete. You're just young yeah. and you're and you're excited. You're, yes. Your ego gets in the way. Your ego is so just like trying to figure things out. So yeah, yes. I, this makes sense. I don't feel judgment about this. I think this is part of how we learn and grow. So yeah. I needed to go through this. Anyway, it turned out to be the gloopiest, most disgusting texture. It was oh. like somehow like dry and clumpy and gooey. It was wrong. And I served it anyway. It was like, sure, I was going to get fired. They are not going to want me to come in next week. And they just never spoke of it. God bless them. That's the thing you also have to, I think that I've experienced a few times too, you also remember is there's a lot of grace. And of course, if you're the person who's cooking the food, you're trying to make it a beautiful experience for the person that you're serving it to. But sometimes that's not really what they're looking for. They're just looking to be fed. And at my very first client who I had like this amazing relationship with, she was so lovely. Very early on, I remember her saying like, oh, by the way, the family that's coming over, the couple that's coming over for dinner, the wife is like a really fancy caterer in LA. And I was like, Alyssa, what? Like I was, <laughs> and then she ran out of the kitchen. And, hey. and so I just remember being so nervous to cook for this woman. I think I mentioned this before, but one of the things that was really lovely about this family I cooked for, it was a mom and two daughters and I ate with them. So I would cook these sort of family meals and they were always inviting these family friends over. And then I would also join them at the table. And so at the end of this meal, I remember, you know, everyone's like, oh, that was so good. It's so great. 
grade and, and the woman was kind of sitting across from me and I said, well, you know, Lulu, I was really nervous to cook for you because right before you arrived, Alyssa said that you're a caterer and she looked me right in the eye and she goes, honey, you could have made me a hot dog and I would have been yeah. so grateful. And that has stuck with me since that day moving forward. How much grace she extended to me. I almost feel like a little emotional repeating that story because it was such a lovely like, oh yeah, anytime someone cooks for you, whether it's like the most elevated, beautiful thing or just a simple sandwich or a hot dog, there's a gratitude of receiving in that. And so, you know, I don't always get invited to other people's house for dinner because I'm nervous cook for me. And and whenever I do, I always make such an effort to say like, like because it is so nice to be the receiver of someone's home-cooked food, especially. I can go out to a restaurant anytime I want if I want to, but that's a different experience than being invited to someone's house. My favorite meals on earth have always been always. made by someone else in their yep. home. They have mm-hmm. never been in a restaurant. I mean, I've had amazing meals in restaurants, but if you're talking about like my top 10 favorite meals of all time, they're probably all going to be something someone cooked for me. Yeah. And like you, I people also be like, I'm so nervous to cook for you. And I'll be like, please don't be because literally yeah. if you made me Annie's mac and cheese, I'm happy. Like, I'm happy. And I'm happy to eat it the way that you eat it. Tell yeah. me more. Tell me all exactly. the things. And you know, it made me think of two stories that aren't totally related to mistakes and stuff, but it made me think about how, you know, the cookbook author, Julia Tertian, do you you remember? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You gave me her cookbook. Oh, did I? Oh, yeah. She's a great, she's a great author. And when she was a personal chef, she had a client who had Ina Garten over for dinner. No. Yes. What would you do if Ina Garten showed up at your table? I would lose my Like you're cooking for your client and Ina Garten's one of the guests. Like, can you imagine? I would lose. And she got very nervous, of course. And I guess at the end of the meal, Ina Garten went to the kitchen to just tell her like how outstanding one of the dishes was. And she ended up being featured on Ina's show. And it was like one of these moments that really helped move her career forward. And first of all, that just makes me love Ina even more because she She knew to go. Yeah, Yeah, she recognizes. And that, that's funny. I always do the same thing. I'm obviously not Ina Garten, but I just think making it a point to thank the people in the kitchen and to be gracious because it is so nice to be cooked for and just be served. How do we take the pressure off ourselves, right? Even like when we're hosting people over for dinner, because I still feel it. I still want everything to be the best version of itself. And you know, the other thing it reminded me of too, I actually had something kind of like what you had happen, which is it was Passover and my the people I worked for were really good friends with John and Vinny, who own a very famous restaurant chain in LA called John and Vinny's. And at the time they were already really well known. I think they had had a food network show. They had Anna which was this restaurant I was like and so she was like well you're gonna cook Passover dinner with John and Vinny and I was like I don't know if I can do that um but but by the way they're just like they're like the loveliest guys they're both of them yeah they're just normal people who are like oh yeah what are you making what are you making cool all right it was totally fine I have a funny kind of the same as your risotto Mm. idea so again my first client one of her friends was like, oh, I want to hire you for this holiday dinner. And she said, again, this was very early on, so I didn't have like a super hard take on, I just was a personal chef. And she said, well, I want to make this thing that my daughters make for my husband. And it's like filet mignon wrapped in crescent roll dough and you bake it in the oven. So I think it's, isn't that like a beef Wellington? This like I wrapped beef Wellington in is, pastry. Yeah, it's that, it's the meat, but then it gets wrapped in a mushroom 
mixture and then okay. wrapped in puff pastry. Yeah. Well, I have never recreated this dish because I have such <laughs> this terrible memory of this experience, which was, again, as you know, I come from this Midwestern background. My mom used to cook those crescent, Pillsbury crescent rolls. You know, they come in a tube. Yeah. But open. You, you lay them out on a sheet pan and you cook them. And so I was like, oh yeah, I can do this. Like, I don't know why I thought I could cook a steak in crescent roll dough and have it come out be like relatively delicious. But I <laughs> tested it a few times and I was like, okay, wow. this is kind of fine. Like this is, I did test it ahead of time, but That's I impressive. remember making this dinner party and, and feeling not confident in the food I was putting out and kind of recognizing that people were like, lukewarm on it, you know? and Right. Oh, that's such a – I know those moments. <laughs> yeah, where you're just like – you can tell that the food is not that great of an experience and they've yeah. sort of moved on to their conversation and their wine. And it was such a great early lesson for me because it was kind of like figuring out not to say yes to everything someone asks you to do. Finding this balance of, well, I am the chef, right? You're, mm -hmm. you're, and, and these are my limitations. Mm -hmm. And I should have recognized that as a limitation of mine, but I didn't. It's like I can see myself blushing as I'm saying this to you. It's mm. like I wasn't proud of it and never got hired back at that house again. And, you know, I also kind of recognized that I wasn't a good partner with this hostess. Like she had a very strong take on what she wanted, and I just kept saying yes to her. And it wasn't, yes. it wasn't a great mix. I was responsible for telling her that I wasn't capable of that. And I didn't say it, you know? But there is that piece that's like, sometimes we're just not good fits. We're just not good matchups. Like sometimes even when you say like, hey, this is my limit, someone still wants you to do something. And, you know, I think we all have those moments, whatever our career is. I feel like someone just told me a similar story and they're a graphic designer. It's like, I think that piece that you learn over time in your career that's like, here's actually what I can do well. And here yeah. are some areas where that I can't do well. I'm not going to promise you something I know I can't do. We don't always know that until it's happening. Yeah. I didn't know what my my edge was or my boundary was until I, until I crossed it. It was such a good lesson. But I also think it's sort of mixed in with, oh, I've never made risotto before and I was making all these other things. And, <laughs> and I learned from it. Like I was like, okay, I'm not going to take on the most complicated chef experience experiments on like on the job. I feel cringy as I'm sharing that story with you, but also it really was such a great moment of, wow, this is not the right feeling I'm looking for. And I think I've expressed a degree of this in our conversations about my career as a personal chef. I really loved my clients. I loved yeah, like the families I, I worked for and I'm still very close to most of them. That's part of what made you such a great and successful personal chef actually is that you liked your clients as much as they liked you. Yeah. And that after that, a lot of my clients that I worked with were kind of like, well, I just trust you. Just make whatever you want to make. You know, I, I have- And that's like the best <laughs> dynamic is when you just hire someone, yeah. you let them do their thing. But there's yeah. this other lesson in what you're saying that stood out to me, which is the thing about cooking is, especially if you're like an active cook, whether you're a chef or not, if you're someone who actively cooks, you've read recipes before, you've made things for the first time before, and they've been successful. That's part of cooking is like, it's a language, like sight reading music. You can figure stuff out. And so I think we get this like sometimes 
sometimes false sense that every time we try a recipe, it's going to work out and it's going to work out exactly as we envision it or the author wrote it. Even our own recipes don't always work out as we wrote them. And I think just remembering that things take practice. And the first time I made dumplings, they were not nearly as good as the seventh time, even if it was the same recipe. Well, you know, we had this conversation about carbonara recently and where I, I kind of resigned myself to like, I'd rather go to a restaurant where the person who's making the carbonara I'm going to eat has made it 50 times today and makes it like every, you know, five days a week as opposed to the clunky one that I'm trying to put together at home. And so- But I think if you made it like three times, your carbonara would then take on its own life. Maybe the first time it wasn't as good as the kind made by the person who made it 20 times. So that, this is all part of what we're talking about. Um, The evolution of your cooking and of your style and what you're drawn to and- Can I share another pivotal moment in my personal chef career? And you and I had very different experiences overall. And I think you did more personal chefing than I did. It was something I would sometimes do on the side in addition to like my food styling. Screenwriting and doing a lot of other stuff too. So yeah. During the time when I was just really personal chefing and that was what I was doing, I had sort of an epic (laughs) things didn't go as planned moment. Basically, I got fired for the first and only time in my life. I'd never been fired from a job. I've never been fired since. Oh my gosh. Wait, I'm so curious. It actually is connected to you because you were like, Sonia, there's this personal chef job and it was for a quite well-known director and his actress wife. And you were sort of warning me. You're like, they may not be the easiest clients. Like you warned me about a couple of things. Yes. Yes. Okay. I I, I remember this now. But you were like, it's a really good job. I I was like, you'd be a perfect fit for them. Like you're so lovely and your food is really good. And yes. Yeah. And I was like, and at the time, at the time, the family that I was cooking for was like, we're going away for the summer. We won't need you. And I, of course, was needing to find another job. And this was going to be like very the most money I'd ever been paid to be a personal chef. This was going to be like a life-changing job. Everything from the beginning was chaos. First of all, so I got the job. I went and auditioned at these people's house, the famous director and actress. I cooked them a meal. They loved it. I got the job. I went to my the family and I was like, hey, so I found a job for the summer and I have to start in two weeks. Thinking everyone was on board with this. Literally, the woman I was working for was so furious she hung up on me. What? Because what, because what had happened was her husband had forgotten to tell me that they changed their summer plans oh. and in fact weren't going away. Oh, no. And so then- so she I, was so she was so mad that she was going to lose you. Yes, but that she yes, hung up. Okay. She was just like, "What are you? What do you mean you're going to go work for this other person? Like, how could you do this to us?" Later, it all got sorted out. So anyway, that's how I started this whole process. So I go to work on this set. The people are shooting a movie, and they give me this tiny trailer to cook in, which weirdly <laughs> had been used for Leonardo DiCaprio's personal chef on a oh. prior movie. <laughs> so anyway, these are just details because you would think this trailer is actually kind of nice, but it was not. It was an old janky RV with like one burner and like a little tiny oven. And and I was just like, how am I going to make food in this space? But I'll figure it out. There was all these communication errors between the actor and director's staff and me. They were supposed to coordinate when meals were going to be had. I was was told a very specific list of things they wouldn't eat. And then it turned out that list wasn't correct. When I tell you everything was insane, it It was. But at the same time, you know, I'm going to make this all work. It's going to be amazing. 
thing. And very early on in working for them, I made soup for lunch and I want to say salmon and something else. And I made this Mark Bittman vegetable soup that my other, I did a riff on it that in my other clients, this was like my fate, their favorite soup that I made. Uh. Proposing menus. So I'm telling people, here are some options. Which ones do you want? These are things they've selected to eat. <laughs> I was tasting the soup and I was like, it's not as good as normal. Why is it not tasting the way it always tastes? I'm doing everything the same. Did you realize like, you forgot something? I didn't forget something. I made it exactly the same, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Like Maybe the vegetables weren't as good tasting. Maybe my stress level like yes. permeated the soup. Who knows why these things happen? It was fine. It wasn't amazing. And I don't think I got fired for this soup. But it definitely wasn't helping me. And basically, I served them the soup along with the salmon or whatever. Oh, maybe I hadn't even served them salmon yet. Along with the salad, whatever they were having for lunch. And the producer comes in at dinner. He's like, I'm so upset to have to do this. And he goes, but I want to tell you, he's look, you finally made it in Hollywood because you're getting fired. You have not made it in this industry until someone fires you from something. And I was like, okay. And he was like, (laughs) he was very, I mean, obviously I was not chill about it. I just lost my livelihood. I had just lost two jobs. I just left another job for this. It was not nothing to me at the time, but I've always carried that with me. And it was also just a moment of this soup that was the best thing I made somewhere else was not the best thing I made here. That chemistry, you just didn't have the chemistry with them. It's so interesting to hear you get into the nuance of that because there was a family I worked for, a big family. I worked for them three or four days a week and they had multiple kids and I was doing their weekly menus and their entertaining menus. And I just didn't have the best vibe with them. And at some point I was like, it's the chemistry. Like, I just don't really love being here. I don't really like jive with them. And the minute I got an offer to go somewhere else, I gave them my notice and they tried to keep yeah. me. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I don't, this is like not my thing. And I think but that- But good on you for knowing that. I think I was just really trying to force it to work. And, you know, it's Well, inter- there's a difference between what I'm saying, which is like, I chose to leave them, but that you weren't given that choice. And that's also a really tough position to be in, you know? It was was like in the moment, I was so devastated. But what it did actually is like I realized I didn't want to be a personal chef anymore. Mm -hmm. Not because I had been fired. That wasn't the reason. I was like, I don't even know if this is the right fit for me as a job Mm long-term and definitely not in this way. And so – I ended up transitioning out of full-time personal chefing and only doing that more as catering and in addition to that, doing other kinds of work in the food space. So it was like a really, it launched me into a new chapter. It became this gift. At the time, it didn't feel good, but it's just amazing how these things work out, right? Yeah, and I think the perspective offered by time is such an important one. The first family I worked for, they, I think saying that they fired me, it seems harsh because it it just, and I had this happen several times over the course of my career where I was really needed for a while at a certain time of those families' lives. And then Mm -hmm. I just wasn't needed. And I could feel it similarly to them. You know, there Mm -hmm. was this one family later on, their kids just got older and they got busier. And so they just weren't at home eating dinner anymore in the same way. And so it just, I became more irrelevant to them. It wasn't that they didn't like me or they didn't appreciate me. And so Mm -hmm. those changes are hard, especially when that's where your paycheck is coming from. At this point now, you can look back and say, wow, that was such a gift. But in the moment, it didn't feel that way at all. Yeah, it's it's always in hindsight. And yeah. I have to say just like 
One last thing about this failed soup. <laughs> That's like interesting. <laughs> Wait, what um, is this? Can we talk? What is the soup? What was the, the soup? The soup is a very basic vegetable soup. It has a tomato element to it. Okay. Like, it's uh, like a broth-based, brothy? It's a broth-based. It's a brothy, but with like carrots, celery. It has green beans in it too. Almost like minestrone without the pasta. Okay. A lot of chard and or spinach. It's really good. It's I don't really make it. I mean, now I'm like, oh, no wonder I don't really make it that way anymore. <laughs> Right. But it was something that everyone loved because it was so hearty but healthy. It was so healthy and yummy. Right. Uh, or you just needed a, a big dose of vegetables. Sometimes yeah, exactly. it's like that's not meant to be like a culinary experience. It's meant to be a healthy experience. Right. It didn't taste bad at all. It wasn't like <laughs> right. this is bad soup. It was just more maybe bland. Right. But it's interesting because for Passover this year, I brought vegetarian matzo ball soup because the host is vegetarian. I've made actually vegetarian matzo ball soup many times and I love my recipe. And like, I think I deviated or I added too much of something to the broth. I don't know what happened. It just didn't taste the same. And I didn't follow my recipe. I was just winging it. And, I, and I'm kind of sad about it. I'm a little sad that it didn't taste as good as I wanted it to taste, yeah, right? That makes sense to me because you put a lot of time and thought into it. And that's where I think the giving yourself some grace when there's a meal that it's just like not great. By the way, they don't have to be like five stars. But no. I think when you care about food and you think about food and you shop for it and you research it and you put your love into it, it is disappointing when you, especially with all the experience that you have. I mean, you owned a restaurant, you've been a private chef, you've been a caterer and a food stylist and all these jobs that you've had in the food world. So it stands to reason that when you show up at someone's house for Passover, you're going to bring this like show-stopping soup and it's sad when it's not where you want it to be. Interestingly, you know how people say they're afraid to cook for us, but I feel like there's also a lot of expectations. Yes. We're going to bring the most life-changing yeah. dishes to a meal. And again, this is our work, not someone else's responsibility. <laughs> totally, it's like totally. a, it's on me not to take on the pressure. And no one's like actually pressuring me and saying, you must bring the most life-changing soup to my dinner. But where do we get out of, like, where do we just allow these moments of, it doesn't make me a bad chef to have an off day or to make a bland soup. It doesn't mean all my other experiences are negated. And right. how do we not let these moments, like these hiccups, make us not value what we do bring and our own talents? And I think it applies to everything in life. No, I agree. I agree. Well, I have a I have a cringeworthy one to offer you. I'm ready. And it still makes me cringe when I think about it. Besides private chefing, personal chefing for a lot of families, there were also a couple of businesses that I cooked for, two offices that I catered lunches to. And I still had chefs. I had clients every day. And so because I could cater these lunches, I could make them early in the morning, drop them off, and then go work and cook a dinner later on. It was a very long wow. day. Yeah. So I would get up at five in the morning and I would roast chickens and bake cookies and make salads. And, and I put them in giant food safe boxes, Tupperwares basically. And they were bigger than a Pyrex. It would be full of sandwiches or full of salads. It would usually, usually be like a sandwich, a salad, and a cookie and maybe some other thing. And so I would load all this stuff up into my car at like 11 o'clock and I would drive it to Beverly Hills and lunch was served at like 11.45 or 12. And so this talent agency that I catered to, they had, it was like a valet parkway area and then there was a set of stairs. And when I would arrive is I would call the housekeeping department, mm -hmm. like the women who would like help organize all the food and coffee and all that. And they would come down and they would bring a cart. So a cart mm -hmm. has wheels 
And they would put the cart at the top of the stairs. Usually one would stay and help me or two. They were really busy. They had like a lot of stuff going on. So I had the cart at the top of the stairs and I had loaded it up with food and I had run back down the stairs. I don't know if I was going to lock my car or throw my keys in the car in case the valet needed to move my car. But what happened is I walked down the stairs and then I heard the scratch and the cart cart moved and all the food that I had cooked since last night and five o'clock in the morning that was supposed to feed 30 people was now spilled all over the valet in the most public way. This is a talent agency. So it's like agents, producers, like so many people coming and going. It's like the busiest place. And I'm just standing there with car and all my, all the food. Devastating. And I had to like hard own this. Yeah, too, because I had to call the guy who coordinates all the lunches. And I was like, Chris, there's been an accident. (laughs) And I said, there is no lunch. And you lost every single thing. I lost everything. It was just like all over the ground. I must have communicated a, a degree of like, I wasn't hurt. Like the food was just missing. So he went into action and ordered pizza to offer to this meeting of people. But then he, in passing, said to one of the agents, who I also worked for, there's been an accident. But what that person heard was, Carrie's been in an accident. (laughs) So this agent came rushing out the doors and was like, oh my God, are you okay? And I was just kind of standing there like, just so sad and so bruised. But he actually thought I was like physically in an accident. And so, and then he realized that I was fine. And then he had to go be at this meeting too. So it just was such a, there, it was such a public mistake because everyone saw it happen. Part of what my job was, I was feeding them so they could have this meeting, a working meeting. So I had kind of like impeded the meeting. And then everything's still okay because you can always order a pizza. It's like these – it's these lessons of there's things beyond your control. Like there's the kind of mistakes that where you are having an off day and then there's the kind of mistakes where like there's a force majeure or something happens or like – Yeah. I just have to say – I want to wrap up the ending, which is that not only did they pay the full invoice, I said, this is on me. I'm not going to submit the invoice. And the guy who was in charge was, you should submit the invoice. They paid the full invoice and they continued to work with me. They were so, they were so, they recognized that it was a mistake. They didn't shove my face in it. Such a generous. That rarely happens. Yes, but it did happen to me. And it's worth saying in this, you know, because there's so many times that people are like, oh, people in Hollywood, blah, blah, blah. And they were just so lovely. Couldn't have been lovelier. But it's also a reflection of how you would treat someone in that situation. Yes. It, well, I think when you receive that grace and you've experienced it yourself, it's a lot easier to offer grace. Yeah. I don't know if you remember when I was running the restaurant, there was one morning where I called you because we had had to have a test done on our, what's called our hood. You have to have these tests done regularly to make sure you're up to code. Mm-hmm. And the person who was working on it had turned off the power to our fridge and didn't turn it back on and we didn't know. So when we came in in the morning the next day, basically the equivalent of like 30 hours of labor because all the food in the fridge took so much labor to make. You know, it was all our sauces. It was our briskets. It was our kugels. It was all this food was just wasted. Do you remember that? I think I do. I think I remember you calling and just just say like in terms of food safety, what can you salvage? And and, I was asking your opinion about some particular dish. I was like, do you think this is impacted? When you work professionally as a cook or a chef, everyone that works in the food industry has to take these this basic class.
class of food safety, right? Yeah, absolutely. But like most things, there are some absolutes, but there's a lot of gray area. There's a lot of gray area. So it's nice when you have a relationship with someone who can bounce these ideas off of. So I think like that probably explains why in the moment you just called me and said, what about this? And, you know, is this a salvageable item? The mayonnaise has been left out on that. You're not serving that. No, no, I wasn't asking about. No, no, no. But I'm just saying like that's an extreme black and white version where you're like, but if there's a soup. Something like that where it was a very gray area and the fridge held a certain degree of cool. Anyway, there's all these little finer points. And obviously our number one concern was always keeping people safe. And ironically, this happened one week before lockdown. I remember it so clearly. None of it mattered in the end, right? Like losing all this product, all this stuff. It was just, we lost so much product after lockdown. Can you imagine what happened when you locked down a restaurant and it's just full of product and how, and you don't know when you're going to reopen. And there was no resources at that time. I mean, anyway, the point was you have these moments that are completely beyond your control. Right. It's just a mistake. But also in this business that has such tight margins in every way, what I was describing to you of working from five in the morning till 10 o'clock at night to pay the bills, to make the margins. You're running a restaurant there. The kind of restaurant that you ran was like the most razor thin margins because you're paying people. Very razor thin. Yeah. To put a a parallel button on the story, the company who did the test, whose employee had accidentally turned off our power and not turned it back on, they ended up paying the equivalent of all the lost product. Wow. That's a company doing the right thing. And you're the only person who knows that they did the right thing. Yeah, exactly. That's a stand-up move too. But that also says something about you. So we've really come full circle. (laughs) (laughs) So there's this other kind of category of mistake, Carrie, that comes to mind that's not just our own error. But there's this category of mistake where it's you think you made a mistake and you really didn't and what happens to your mind. Oh gosh, yes. I have a really vivid memory of this. One day, the family I worked for, they had this teenage son and it was going to be a night where only he was going to have dinner. And so his parents were like, you can order anything in the world. And I was like, that was fun to me. I, I want wonderful. you to make, Yeah. He was like, I want you to make a homemade umami burger. And umami burger at the time was this local burger spot in LA that had just opened. Now it has like multiple locations, but it had just opened. It was such a craze. They were making these dehydrated ketchups and like Parmesan crisps. Oh yeah, crisps, I remember. I went to right? umami burger too. Yes. So it was all when it just opened. He's like, I want a homemade umami burger. And I was like, cool. I'm going to research all the elements. And he's like, I want it medium rare. No. And he's like, yes, I want it medium rare. I had worked in this fine dining restaurant where the chefs had always told me never order burgers medium rare. Order them Why? always at least me- because so much bacteria exists in ground beef. They would, I just remember the chef teaching me like, even though you can get your burger rare, medium rare, I always get it. Well done. I don't want to risk it. It just stuck with me. So in my head, I'm like, yeah. I can't make this kid a medium rare burger as 15 year old kid, but he was dead <laughs> set on it. So I went to the best butcher in all of Los Angeles. I was like, give me, I think it was like Wagyu ground beef, truly. It was, you know, ground in house, right, all right. pristine. I was like, can I cook this medium rare? They're like, absolutely. You could even eat it rare. I was like, okay, great. And so I made this umami burger with all the elements and he was so happy and it was all exactly as he wanted. And that night I woke up in the middle of the night and was just convinced that he got food poisoning. I was like, this came from nowhere. There was no reason to think this. It was because I felt, I guess I felt nauseous, even though I didn't even eat the burger. Well, you Um, had accepted this piece of advice as this truth, which also has a lot of truth in it, which is that eating medium rare meat, it definitely comes with its own set of risks. 
and especially like, ground meat, not yeah, not steaks, yes, yes. but like yeah, but yeah, ground meat, right? Because, yeah, and you could see the logic in this advice, and it also came from a, a source that you trusted, right? And it was something that you had internalized. And so um, – And and I was also- such an anxious person that like I convinced <laughs> myself that I was nauseous and had food poisoning from something I didn't even eat. And I was just – I literally didn't sleep that night and was convinced again that I was like getting fired, that I'd poisoned this poor child, that oh I was going to get a call in the morning about it. And I think I got a call that was – not a call. I think I got a message. He loved it. What a success. You know, it was whatever. By what? By the way, what a relief when you get that message. Okay, I have one last one, which is an yeah. it's an equipment story, which is so there's this couple that I worked for. It was really kind of through another private chef friend. They were more of their they were more her clients and every once in a while if she was on vacation or or busy, I would cook for them and I I really liked them. They were lovely. And so I went to their house to cook a dinner party and they had this big pantry where all the platters and things were and it and because I didn't work there regularly, this is what I did for a lot of clients is I would like organize the spaces, but but this wasn't my space. I was just kind of the guest there. And so I cooked the dinner party and I washed all the dishes and I put the platters back on the shelf, kind of in the same manner in which they had been stacked. Like I have some clients that stack their platters, but they put towels between them or pieces of styrofoam Protector. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Protectors. Like, and this was not that. This was just like this shove everything in there. And so I was like, okay, well, this is the way that they do things. So I'm going to honor that. I like closed the pantry door and I walked back to the kitchen and then I heard a crash. Oh, and, no. and the platters fell oh, and no. like five of them broke. It wasn't like one platter fell and it like oh chipped a little gosh. bit. They were it was like a massacre in the pantry. How and upsetting. it was so <laughs> upsetting and I was so embarrassed. And and luckily their dining area was outside. So they they didn't witness it the same way that I just so I had a I had a second to like catch my breath. Finished the cleanup, broken platters, and I sort of stacked them on the counter and I cleaned up all the mess in the pantry. And then when I was getting ready to leave, I I said I, you know, can you come into the kitchen or whatever? She comes in and I said, "Lynn, there's been an accident." And oh I goodness. said I I broke your platters and she her reaction was she goes Carrie like she reacted and then she took a breath and she looks at me and she goes well those are from my first marriage and she How threw perfect. them in the trash it was How amazing perfect. it was such grace it's like and I said I will replace them and she goes oh those were for my first marriage and it was such a wonderful are you hearing the theme in your stories there's like a real theme emerging with all these uh, quote unquote mistakes or moments, you're you've had also equal amounts of grace, of grace and everything being fine. And it's such an important reminder that I share these experiences, like the things are in our own mind, the way we're hard on ourselves and take on so much responsibility. Yes. Like how really most people operate with like compassion and grace. Yeah, certainly when the break happened, I could just hear like my parents, you know, my my dad yes. saying, take your time. There was a degree of like, I was rushing through and I was like, well, I could sit here and reorganize this, but 
it seems like no one cares about this being organized here. And I just laid them on the top, wishing for the best. What a terrible idea. But she needed you to break them and release them from her life because she didn't need the first marriage platters. I love it. I love everything about that story. (laughs) What a great – what. What a great note to end on. What a great reminder of how far we've come and how much grace has been extended to us, you know? And how much then we also extend grace to not just other people, but to ourselves. To ourselves. Yeah. Agreed. Well, it was nice to see you. Nice to see you too. Talk to you soon. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for being our food friend. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, leave us a review, and share this episode with friends. We love hearing from you, so follow us on Instagram or drop us a line at foodfriendspodcast.com. Yes, we'd love to hear from you and your food friends. Happy cooking and eating. Happy cooking and eating.